0: This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to the hub. Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Larry Daniel Favors on SiriusXM's Urban View, where talk empowers and becomes medicine. Oh, Lord, I almost said be- becomes medicine. That's just how committed I am to soul medicine. We're talking powers and becomes action. Darn it. It just so happens we're on Friday and it's Soul Medicine Friday. My tongue stay being colonized, y'all. I tell you, it's a a work in progress. It really is. Uh, But because it is Soul Medicine Friday, it is also time for us to uh, remember who we are and reconnect with the world around us in ways that are empowering and liberating. And of course, we have the amazing Lindsay Fauntleroy here to help us with that. She is a medicine maker, educator, and the author of In Our Element, Soul Medicine to Unleash Your Personal Power. Her approach to soul medicine emerges from over 15 years of clinical practice her PhD studies of indigenous and African diasporic psychology and her commitment to community wellness. Lindsay, it is always such a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you for being here again today. Thank you so much, larry for bringing me back. I got to be honest with you, it's, it's been rough. It's been a mm-hmm. rough couple of weeks. Uh, yes. Since the last time you were here, Uh, My entire show for those two weeks has had some element to do with some sort of realization about mass shootings, trauma Mm -hmm. of some sort or another. Um, The real ugly side of America has really kind of been unleashed in some ways. And I know that in this season of Gemini, we're inquiring, we're thinking through things and approaching things with a real specific uh, set of inquiry or or tools of inquiry. And I'm wondering if you can talk with us today a bit about uh, trauma, a bit about Mm -hmm. what nature tells us about how to either absorb and reflect trauma, how we can Mm -hmm. heal through it, uh, and what to do when it feels as though the trauma you're exposed to is not a shortened uh, experience but really Mm -hmm. seems to be more characteristic of the long-term existence uh, of you and your family you as an individual you as a part of a people who have been experiencing intergenerational trauma Uh, one how have you been over these past two weeks how are you managing this trauma and then what say you about the way that trauma has seemingly shaped so much of our life recently
1: well, it's interesting because I, I believe the last time I was here, we were talking about like leaning into your heart space, listening to your heart, following your heart. And what I've been reflecting on is how difficult that is to do when your heart feels like it's under attack. Mm. You know, when you when you have to armor yourself just to navigate the situation that you find yourself in. And so um, what I'd love to share today is to look at different types of trauma And then there are some resources that come out of um, indigenous wisdom that can teach us ways to support our heart healing through these times. You know, there is so much um, both for the collective as well as our, our, our own individual hurts and traumas that we're still navigating. And so one of the things that has come up a lot for me in the past few weeks is this idea of intersectional trauma. Mm. right? How uh, there's different types of trauma and that they can overlap with one another, especially in these big moments like the Buffalo shooting, for example. Um, So before we even jump into the intersectional trauma, I just wanted to share different types of trauma so that we can orient ourselves into what we've been navigating over these past few weeks and arguably the last few hundred years, if if we're really honest about it. Um, So most people are familiar with personal trauma, um, and personal trauma is an exp- a direct experience in our personal life, our home, our immediate family. And from the perspective of Indigenous wisdom, we look at trauma as anything that that causes the heart to gasp, mm. right? That that is an aspect of, of wow. being a human and being on this planet where you just kind of. What was that? What just happened? And so, of course, with that explanation, that overwhelm of the nervous system, that can range from very small things mm. to the largest things. But either way, our hearts kind of take that first hit of navigating our relationship with our fellow humans. Wow. Um, so, so that's personal trauma. Most people are, are familiar, unfortunately, with some type of personal trauma. Of course, there's abuses. Of course, there's grief and loss and death those can all create uh, traumas. But what folks don't often think about, which I think is really relevant for this time, is this idea of secondary trauma. Mm. And secondary trauma is, you know, it's pretty commonplace in the field of social work and counseling, um, but it's the indirect exposure to trauma through a firsthand account or narrative of a traumatic event. Mm. So secondary trauma is when you're seeing something traumatic happen or hearing about something traumatic that has happened to someone you care about, but you are in a powerless position in relationship to it. You can't stop it from happening. And so when we're watching videos of a shooter in Buffalo, Hmm. when we're watching videos of a police officer with his knee on someone's neck, all of the, and there are these videos are, they go viral, right? They smile right. around. We see them every time we open our phones, that creates secondary trauma mm. because we're seeing the worst of humanity and we're powerless to do anything about it. And it reverberates through our nervous system. Mm. It triggers, in these specific examples, it triggers ancestral trauma, ancestral trauma is the trauma that lives in our nervous system that is passed down intergenerationally
0: is that the epigenetic uh when we hear about epigenetics and being able to pass down harms and traumas oh, or good things it doesn't just work in the negative mm-hmm. as I understand. right is that the same thing that's wow. the same thing okay and so
1: when we see something uh you know and we can think about in this country when we think about lynchings for example who yeah. So, you know, sorry, folks, this, the soul medicine is going to be a little heavy today, but it, the hope is that we can start to bring some resources to support us through these times, because it's, it's pretty real out there. Yeah, And, um, and we're, our hearts are needing the healing. So when we think about lynchings and we think about, um, you know, sorry for being graphic, but when we think about bodies being hung for others to see, mm-hmm. it's that trauma, it's that reminder of your powerlessness. It's that reminder that is part of the power
0: dynamic
1: and part of the cruelty and part of the inhumanity.
0: You know, I wonder if the trauma becomes even more extreme when we realize that those images of lynchings, for example, uh, weren't just, they, they weren't just acts that people engaged in for them to look at. They were also acts that people engaged in to enjoy Right. They, yep. they derived pleasure out of this. It was a part right. of their affirming uh, of their yes. own uh, uh, humanity as they defined it rooted in, right. in what my, one of my callers has me now calling white savagery. Uh, we used to call it white supremacy and I still do just to be clear, but uh, mm-hmm. recognizing that white savagery Uh, Because it is savage. I mean, there's just nothing humane about it. It is absolutely Mm -hmm. savage. But recognizing that perhaps not even that this horrible thing happened, but that it was a part of uh, another culture's way of affirming themselves because their vision of who they were was based on oppressing us. Does does that have an ability to exacerbate the trauma that we would already experience at seeing just the image of that body or those bodies hanging in that way? It's, it's
1: knowing that that uh, in the white savagery that it was used to affirm identity, but also to affirm that we knew that they were affirming their identity, mm. that they, you know, so it's, it's very vicious and it's very, very much the trauma that we, that resonates with when we see the things that are happening in the news now. And there's a part of us ancestrally that's like, I know what this is. Wow. You know, when we're watching um, with that, with the January 6th, you know, storming of the, of the Capitol, we know what a lynch mob is.
0: Ooh, girl, so we, we hearing you say it. that after watching the hearings that started last night for the January 6th, you know, on right. Thursday, they kicked off those hearings. Thinking about yes. that just sent chills down my spine because it's not just thinking about January 6th or January 6th. It's right. calling on that. No, we done seen that before. That we are I know this in
1: with. my bones. Mm-hmm. I know this in my bones. And that's that ancestral trauma. Wow. That's the part of us that it, it's passed down and it says, okay, I know what this is. Yeah. Um, and so that can overlap with social or communal trauma. That is any trauma that's shared by uh, individuals in a shared so- circumstance. And then there's institutional trauma, which is the trauma that is inflicted by institutions through their mm-hmm. written or unwritten laws. Hmm. So now these hearings and how that plays out is going to possibly trigger this institutional trauma that we are carrying with us. So these are all overlapping traumas that we're trying to navigate. And it's not surprising that many of us are feeling outside of ourselves, are feeling depressed, are feeling anxiety, are feeling all of the things that come with trauma, even though some of us might be looking at the news and looking and saying, okay, we, we know this is par for the course for white savagery, right? We know what this is, but our hearts hold it differently. Mm. So even though we might intellectually understand it, we might intellectually expect it, the impact that it has on our psyche, on our nervous system, um, it's still a trauma.
0: Wow. So what do you say to people who say, well, I I share these videos of, of, you know, black people being beat up by the police to to inform Mm -hmm. the public. And and quite frankly, it it is important to inform the public. We know that uh, uh, the world seeing similar videos of black people being hosed down in the sixties, but with dogs and and fire hoses did a lot to change the world perception about America. And that in and of itself had a lot to do with some of the changes that we then saw. So there are some people who say, listen, I share these videos all day. Every day. That's part of my Mm -hmm. contribution uh, to to helping to undo this to to, you know tear back the veil of secrecy. Right. Um, What what I mean, and I think there's a role for that. I just I've Mm -hmm. now had to figure out how to set my phone so that these things don't automatically play. I'm I'm trying to avoid them. What do you say to that tension?
1: It's tough because you know there's a reason why some communities say never forget, Right. right? You have to stay present to what you're up against, (laughs) you know, because it is easy in the society to be lulled to sleep. You know, there's, there's so much of society and media that is intentional about lulling people into a passive state of being. Mm. But I think my answer to that is, is actually a story. There's a, uh, in the wellness community, there's an author named Peter Levine, who writes extensively about trauma and the trauma body. And actually, uh, uh, Resma Menachem, who has written the book, My Grandmother's Hands. If you haven't picked up that book, please do. He gives what, an what excellent. What was the
0: name of the author again?
1: Resma Menachem. Um,
0: Resma Menachem. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can include it in the show notes. He gives an excellent expose on. Racialized trauma in the U.S. and how it impacts uh, the black psyche as well as the white psyche. Wow. Um, but one of the stories that we we hear in the in the field of trauma therapy and trauma informed therapy, they give this example of a group of children that were kidnapped and they were kept underground. They were kept underground for ten days, um, and and basically they were you know being tortured. And one of the one of the students, one of the, the children, was able to come up with a plan to dig them out hmm. of this essential grave. And so he was able to, you know, execute, he came up with a plan, he executed the plan, the children were able to escape. They did a study where 30 years later, they came back to talk to the children and to study how this, this traumatic event had impacted. And the only one, who did not experience symptoms of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder was the person who came up with a plan and executed it. The only one. And so for those of us who are watching the videos, who are sharing the videos, it's, it's not so much for our nervous system. It's not so much what we're exposed to, but how do we respond to it? Because it's the lack of response that perpetuates the traumatic impact.
0: Wait a minute. That's, that's huge. Mind blowing. Yes. Because that means Lindsay when we are our passive observers of the trauma, we are going to experience if I'm following you correctly, we're going to experience Uh, the worst of the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes from that. But if we are actively resisting, if we are actively engaged, if we are, I don't know, organizing, doing something, Mm -hmm. engaged in an active form of resistance, you mean that can actually have an impact on our ability to process that trauma so that it doesn't leave as strong of a long-term impact?
1: That's exactly right. Jesus. So it's what do you do with what you see? If you watch the videos and then- you know, go back to making dinner and going about your daily business. And then the next day you're watching the video again, your body is still holding that tension. Your body is still holding that shock and trauma. But if you shift so that you can see what's happening and craft a response, then that is going to, impact your long, the long-term impact of how it affects you. And I will say that when we're looking at this medicine and particularly the fire element in the East Asian traditions, um, when we're looking at the fire element, we're not talking about a one size fits all response. It's not, okay, everybody write a letter to so-and-so. It's not everybody (laughs) organizing this. You know, it's really about staying connected to your purpose, your individual purpose and how that contributes to all of community and all of humanity, you know, in the African mm. worldview, there is no individualism. You know, Girl, my purpose is- I've been tr-
0: talking <laughs> about it all week. This American <laughs> selfishness is anti-Black. And <laughs> anti-Black, <laughs> we don't do that.
1: It's very much, I am because we are, it's very much my unique purpose and my unique gifts are at service of a larger whole. And mm. so the more I can stay connected to that, the better off I'll be in the long run. So when I see these things that are impacting the collective, it's a call for me to get clear on my purpose and to step into it. And that is going to impact how much, not just how much the the trauma impacts my life, but what I pass down to future generations in terms of those epigenetics.
0: So you know, I, sometimes I wonder if the people who were direct descendants from like a Harriet or a Denmark Vesey, who who helped to author one of the greatest rebellions that ended up being sold out um, and undermined, or uh, Toussaint Louverture, I wonder if their descendants have a little bit more généricoi, um, <laughs> a, a little bit a little more bit. kick-ass ability. Like I don't know. I, I'm or, resilience. Or, or resilience. Or resilience.
1: Yes. If we because- think about that. Um, most folks who know me know that I am terrified of mice but there are these studies that show that like um if a pregnant i I think this stuff is fascinating if a pregnant mouse eats peanut butter that has poison in it right right their babies know not to eat that peanut butter that's right they pass down that resilience so when we think about freedom fighters when we think about rebel. It's like, what are we passing down? Don't eat that peanut butter. (laughs) Go Mm. this way. This is how you respond to um, the traumas that we see. We're passing down that information as well. Wow. Um, so we have, you know, that that's both a double-edged sword, right? There's something right. beautiful in that, and something painful in that as well.
0: Right, right. Oh my God, you just gave me so much food for thought just right there, because I'm like, I got to resist more, but I, I but did I, did I do enough resistance while I was pregnant so that my, my, my grandkids? <laughs> <though>? like, <laughs> Well, it's not a it's not a
1: one time shop. So, you know, I, I dare I say, Lurie, I'm sure your children see you every day
0: doing work for your
1: community. So you are for sure passing that. On
0: <laughs> I need more resistance action. <laughs> Got to make sure my great grands get enough of this <laughs> of this rebellion. So, Lindsay, you know, it it can sometimes feel to me and I've been feeling this a lot. You know, we've gotten most people in my household right now have a therapist. One or two that's of us right. is still waiting to find the therapist that's going to work for us. But, you know, this which is a big step for me because I've been talking about everybody need a therapist for a long time, but took a long time to get therapists for the people in my household. So yes. we, we've, we're getting therapy. You know, everyone I'm committed by the end of, what I said, by the end of uh, this month, we will have finalized our therapist appointments for now anyway. You can always change a therapist when you need to. Um, mm-hmm. But there is this uh, approach, I think, that some of us have that, okay, we just all need therapy. When you're born, you should get a social security number and a therapist. But that's then right. there's also, people who never think about therapy until mm-hmm. for some it's almost too late how mm-hmm. do you know when if you're not one of those people who's like no we need a therapist is today a day ending and why where's my therapist like if you're not one of those
1: people <laughs> then how like, do you know i need my therapist on speed dial because i'm not gonna have time to catch you up on That's all right. the
0: things <laughs> girl let me just text you real quick what happened Yeah, so let me just tell you all the things that when i need it yeah <laughs> Uh, so, But if you're not one of those people, and frankly, most of us are not, most mm-hmm. of us do not, uh, and particularly in our community, if you're not one of those people who already has that approach to therapy, how would you know when the exposure to trauma that you have seen has reached such a peak, particularly when you live in a community that's been shaped by trauma, how do you For know sure. when it's gotten to be so much that, nah, bruh, you, you need to talk to somebody, dog, and I don't just mean your barber.
1: Right. Well, the example that I use is that of a pilot light, right? So let's go a little old school for those of you who have ever used a gas stove, right? And so you have your pilot light, you turn on the gas, the flame comes up. When you have trauma that is significant, it's almost like that pilot light is extinguished. So it doesn't matter how much you turn up the gas, it doesn't matter how much good things are happening around you, it doesn't matter because there's nothing to catch fire. There's nothing wow. to light up. So that pilot light being out, you know, sometimes will drive someone to substance abuse, right? Because they're trying to find something to reignite that flame that is that is that sense of life and livelihood, and and dare I even say joy, but it's even beyond joy. It's just that sense of being alive and present in our bodies and, and on purpose. And so when that pilot light is out, um, we can feel hopelessness, we can feel depression, um, we can feel sadness. Um, there's a few red flags that I see. Uh, suggest that people look out for and unfortunately some of the red flags are so normalized that we think that's just how we are um so i'm going to share them um share them now if you have persistent sad anxious or empty mood like you just can't find the energy you just can't find the joy you're not smiling you're laughing you're not laughing Um, And that's going on day after day after day. Mm. Or even if it just persistently comes back, you might have like one good day and then eight bad days and then one good, you know, that's something where you might want to seek out additional support. Um, Feelings of irritability, frustration or restlessness that don't ease up, you know, constantly Mm. feeling like you're ready for war or ready for battle because that's that, Parasympathetic that's that fight or flight that is being ready for battle but then it's like you know where do I direct that battle to and unfortunately for many people they end up bringing that home to the people that they care about the most, because they don't feel like they have a standing fight against these institutional systems of oppression.
0: Well, now I thought I'm supposed to stay ready. So I don't have to get ready. You come at me, I'm supposed to be ready to pop up. I'll take it to you. I mean, I got hands, I will use them. I mean, how am I supposed to stay ready? So I don't have to get ready when you talking about, I need to perhaps not always be on 10. Is there a middle ground there? Because, you know, for some of us, and I, I've seen this both with the girls I've worked with, the young folks I've worked with, mm-hmm. um, you know, your range, the range of acceptable expression might be from zero to 10, but we stay on 13. Right. <laughs> we just stay at that elevated space. How do I reconcile that with this cultural notion that says you got to be ready at any moment because they might always be ready to bring it to you?
1: I would say that your readiness has to be ready to respond, not necessarily ready to fight. Fight oh. might be one response. Sure. But your readiness has to be, you know, they, they they might say the way of a peaceful warrior. Right. What what the heck does that mean? I can be peaceful when you're you're fighting. But it, it is a different way of moving into struggle and into fight. It's, it's not coming from a place of blind rage, hmm. but from a place of we would say the wood element, a place of strategy and vision. So yes, stay ready, but stay ready to respond, not necessarily ready to go into your impulsive, you know, Mm. I'm I'm ready, you know, the the person at the counter can catch it. Well, the (laughs) the person at the counter is not really the one (laughs) who needs to catch it, right? Right. So so that (laughs) stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Sure. But what kind of readiness? The readiness to respond.
0: Wow. And to respond uh, with wisdom, I think, right? Not necessarily if your response is always, you're going to catch these hands. Well, then that's probably going to be why you gonna caught a couple of cases. Uh, might right. be why you, <laughs> it might be why you're, your you're,
1: relationships might be falling apart. Mm,
0: yes. You know, so, because,
1: okay. you know, it's, it's that right. And, and again, these are the places where bringing in some Therapy, you know, I'm a big proponent of things like, you know, soul medicine, whether it's flower essences, acupuncture, whatever are the things that are going to help to regulate your nervous system um, so that that readiness can be aligned with with some wisdom and some inner clarity and also align with your purpose, Mm, right? That's right. Um, Some other signs, uh, difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. That's one that people overlook all the time. It's, you know, that feeling of fuzziness. Um, changes in appetite, unexplained uh, weight changes, or definitely if there's any passive or active suicide ideation, definitely a a time to seek out support. Um, And then just lack of pleasure in activities that you used to enjoy, another sign, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I think with you know, we've got pandemics, we've got wars, we've got white savagery, we've got a lot of things that our hearts are trying to hold on to a sense of purpose and meaning and even love and connection. And so these are all signs where you can get support from mental health counselors, from wellness practitioners, and to prioritize your, your internal well-being so that you can be ready to respond appropriately to
0: the events that are happening. Are you seeing just even in your own practice and studies as it pertains to our community? I mean, our us. And when mm-hmm. it comes to our community's openness to these types of practices, are you seeing any shifts or any trends that would indicate that we are becoming more open to this? You know, one of the, the main uh, sponsors of, of this channel in that right now is BetterHelp, uh, an organization <laughs> where online therapy, for example. And I love that they're here on Urban View because Urban View is a, is a place that has a significant portion of the American population um, that, you know, we necessarily ain't really feeling all this therapeutic talk all the time. That's one of the reasons for me, the soul medicine segments are so important because culturally we have to break down this resistance to healing uh, this very important part of ourselves. Are, Are you seeing any signs that indicate for you that our community as a whole is generally becoming a bit more open to this type of approach to healing?
1: Definitely. I mean, I would say when I started doing this work 15 years ago and I would talk about flower essences or acupuncture, People kind of look at me like, what's that? That that sounds like some woo-woo stuff or, you know, you don't bring that, that ooga over ooga. here. I believe in God. And I'm like, it's medicine. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> um, and I don't get that response anymore. Now, when I tell people I'm an acupuncturist, I hear, where do you practice? Where can I go? Mm. I've been thinking about getting acupuncture. So there's definitely been a shift. I would definitely say that there's a lot of, you know, on, on Instagram or in social media, there's a lot more folks that are, that are talking about how do I change my frequency? How do I change my vibration? All of that is indigenous wisdom, indigenous energetic medicine. Um, So I do feel like there's increased receptivity, um, increased accessibility as well. Mm. You know, it used to be that the, the alternative wellness space was very white dominated, um, very classist. And now, you know, there's, there's places popping up all over where you can get things like community acupuncture, community healing, like you said, That's the right. online therapy. Yep. There's a really great app. Um, I like to plug uh, Liberate, which is a meditation oh, app yes. that is all uh, black and brown voices. So there's there's more spaces that are opening up where we can feel held in our in our inner work.
0: Hmm. I really appreciate this conversation. And we had some brothers on earlier, we were talking about uh, responses to violence from a more male centered perspective. And they were talking about the fact that, you know we are people of the land and not only do our systems block us from accessing our traditional ways of knowing and ways of Mm -hmm. being, but our our literal physical environments block our ability to tap into those traditional ways of knowing and being. And they talked about, you know taking young black boys who had anger issues outside, take Mm -hmm. them outside into the woods and play Mm -hmm. and be Mm -hmm. a part of nature, roll around in the dirt. And it reminded me as they were talking of the scenes from Alex Haley's Roots, the miniseries, when you see uh, Kunta Kinte before he is captured, uh, he and his father Amoro and the other young men are outside in their rite Mm -hmm. of passage. They're they're learning how to become men by connecting with nature and by being more aligned uh, with their purpose uh, in the community, with their purpose as individuals, with the vision that the village has for each of them. And it just feels to me, Lindsay, like in so many ways, all of these horrific things that we're experiencing are also... Um, I'm also studying the oneness of things and how the good Mm -hmm. also contains the bad and how these things are, you know, you know, I love my Buddhist uh, frolicking in the Buddhist pathways of thinking, Um, but I'm just mindful of the fact that as horrific as these experiences are, these traumas are, they are also a powerful opportunity for us to take our response, I was going to say reaction, but how we respond mm-hmm. and ensure that it is much more rooted and grounded with who we traditionally were, because it right. seems those pathways are still, um, frankly, more valid and vibrant and, and needed now than perhaps they ever have been. Yeah. So,
1: you know, I, you know my favorite phrase is nature knows. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we think about it, um, humans are the only species that, that kill not for their own food and survival. Wow. You know, and so what wow. do we have to learn from from nature that has predated us and is still here, you know, about what it means to be in community and, and mm. an interconnected field, you know, like humans are we're out here doing some wild things, you know. <laughs> and so this this being in nature, you know, I'm a very big proponent in terms of the work I do in terms of what we call the anima mundi or the soul of the world, you know, mm. how do we learn from um in a concentric way. How do we learn from what nature has to teach us? How do we bring that into our lives in a practical way that isn't just, you know, frolicking, you know, in the river while we're at war, you know, that's not really practical, (laughs) right? (laughs) you know, but how do we bring this, this, this wisdom? And and I think that the indigenous healing medicines have a lot to teach us about how we do that, how we work with the energies, um, the earth-based energy, spiritual energy, and, and, use those two poles you know we say that humans stand between heaven and earth Hmm. so we we bring in the energies of the earth we bring in the energies of the divine so that we can be better humans and that's that's really what when i look at the news i i'm constantly thinking we have to be better humans you know
0: wow i i'm so grateful for you and i'm so glad that uh (laughs) that you are able to be with us regularly to just sort of sit back a little bit, put some distance between us and the world and think differently about what is happening in the world and how we show up in it. I know there are a lot of people who gain a lot from listening to you every other week. How can they connect with you uh, when you're off these airwaves? What's the best way for them to stay up to date with what you have happening?
1: Uh, Thank you for asking. Um, You can visit me at thespiritseed.org. In fact, this month we have, um, we call it this moment's medicine, we have some resources for what we call a resilient heart. So if you Mm. are experiencing some um, trauma, some discombobulation, if your pilot light is a little bit low, there's some researches resources there at the spiritseed.org under this moments medicine you can also follow me on my socials um lindsay font on instagram and twitter so that's I- lindsay with an a and then f a u n t
0: lindsay i absolutely love you thank you so much for helping us to make sense of this i um I will be on that website because I, I need a more resilient heart. It's been a rough period, and I'm really glad to know that there are people like you. In my mind, I call you my Black fairy. Uh, <laughs> there are people like you. I accept. <laughs> <laughs> who help us to remember what really matters and how we get back uh, connected to with what really matters. Thank you so much for being with us again today. It's always a pleasure.